Father, we just come to you once again. Faithful God. Awesome God. As we sang at the end, O oh Lord, it's your word that gives us life. For you said your words are spirit and life. For it is written, the word of God has power to work in those who believe. For it is written, you have exalted your word above all your name. For it is written, your word is forever settled in the heavens. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not a dot from your word. The world will pass away, so will its desires. But not the man, the woman who does the will of God. We have come to seek your face. We have come to learn from you and of you. Because as it is written about your son, it's written about us. In the volume of your book, it's written about us, your will. Teach us tonight, Lord. Teach us. Speak to us, even the little ones who have come. Speak to them too. Let me go back having heard your voice, believed your voice. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Today we turn to the gospel according to Matthew. And we go to chapter 9 and we read from verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country, all that country. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. We go to verse 30 and 31. Two blind men followed him. They were crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. They are blind. They are crying for mercy. See, whatever God does to us is an act of mercy. So he went into the house. And the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Jesus is telling us, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Whatever your situation is, whatever you need mercy for, maybe it's maths, maybe it's the logo for the little children, maybe it's something bigger in your home, in your life, in your job, whatever it is. The question Jesus asks us, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yes, Lord. They said, yes. Then, he touched their eyes saying, he didn't say you're healed. He didn't say be healed. He didn't say command the spirit of blindness to leave. He didn't do, say anything like that. He said, 
Since you believe that I can do this, according to your faith, let it be to you. Often we misunderstand faith. We misunderstand faith. First thing let me tell you, faith does not save anybody. Faith does not save anybody. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 9, God is very clear. For by grace you have been saved. Faith doesn't heal anybody. Faith doesn't bring your breakthrough. Faith doesn't change your situation. It is grace that does it. Grace is the power of God. For by grace you have been saved, but for grace to come in, it needs a conduit. It needs a channel. And the only channel through which grace will flow is through faith. Okay, through faith. We are not saved by faith. We are saved by grace. But we are saved through faith. That not by yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Otherwise, these two blind men would have gone and boasted, saying, our faith healed us. And nobody can boast that my faith, my faith. Because grace comes into our lives only when we put our trust in the work of Christ and not our works. That is the terrible situation religious people go through. It's very difficult to tell a religious person, your works will not take you one inch closer to God. However good it may be, you are saved only by grace and it comes through faith in the work of somebody else. Absolutely somebody else. Somebody else did something. You had no part in it. You didn't do anything. You actually... You and I were actually were opposing every work of his. We were his enemies. We were sinners. There was no way we helped God. We were actually responsible for his death. But through his work, we are saved when we believe. By grace, through faith. Okay, through faith. By grace, we are saved. By grace, but through faith. Then the question comes, what is faith? We are all expert theologians, little theologians, teenage theologians, no? All are theologians, six, seven, eight, nine years, you know your word well. Okay? Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not, evidence of things not seen. Two blind men, they do not see. And they want to see. Jesus has only one question to them. What is his question? In Matthew 9, 28. Do you believe that I am able to do this? The evidence of things hoped for. Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe? That's the only question God is asking. Okay. Do you believe that I can do this? Two blind men come and asking for mercy for sight. Faith is the substance, it has substance of things hoped for. They don't see, they want to see, and the question is, do you believe that I can do this? And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 will say, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that I can do it? And they said, yes Lord, you can. 
You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he said, okay, you really believe? Because everybody say, I believe. So he says, okay, now I'm going to turn the tables on you. Let it be according to your faith. Let me see whether you really believe or not. If you believe, you will see. If you believe, you will see. That's what God is looking for. God is not looking first at our works, our actions, not even our words. He looks into our heart to see when we come to him, whether we believe, whether we have faith. Okay. Imagine every time we ask God something, he turns it around and says, okay, do you believe? Yes, Lord, I believe. Okay, so let it be according to your faith and nothing happens. That's a lot of things. He said, you didn't believe. So we see scripture beginning that way from the beginning when faith begins. Faith begins outside the garden. In the garden it was sight. Okay, Faith begins outside the garden. Two young men went to God for the first time. Recorded. In Genesis chapter 4, 3 to 5. And in the process of time, we don't know how long, it's a process of time. It came to pass, Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and out of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel. Abel, you are respected, and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Why? Why did God respect Abel's offering? Scripture says first he respected Abel, then his offering. And Hebrews 11.4 is very clear over there because scripture says it is by faith. Do you believe in what you are doing? By faith. By faith. The whole Hebrews 11 is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Okay? Now again, let us go into faith. Okay? Because everybody has faith. Whether you believe or not, everybody has faith. Primarily, there are five kinds of faith if you want to divide it. First is what all of us have, natural faith. I got absolute assurance that tomorrow if I go to the bank, my money is there. Unless the Prime Minister says something tonight. Okay? I know the money is there and I can get it out. Okay? And you are all sure that if you go to school, your school is there. And classes will take place. This is natural faith. It's natural. There's so many. We live on that. You came to church today knowing that there would be church. Okay? That's natural faith. Then there is intellectual or faith that comes from reason, way of reason. Okay? Let us say I look at a recipe. I'm looking at it the first time. I've never seen this before. But I know the ingredients. And I go by all those ingredients. And I start cooking, looking at the recipe. And at the end of half an hour, presto, the chicken curry comes out. Okay? That's an intellectual reasoning faith. That there is a series of steps given over there, and it says that if you do it this way, this is the end result. Everybody, every every mother, every person who goes to office, there's a lot of intellectual reasoning faith over there. Like if you know, last month in America, September 23rd, just told it's total solar eclipse in America. Everybody believed. They looked at all the scientific evidence. They came to the reason. Yes, it's going to happen. Did it happen? 
It happened. Everybody bought their glasses, whatever. They sat there. They looked reasonable. And you go to a shop and you know 2 plus 2 is 4, 5 plus 5 is 10, 50 plus 50 is 100. You give, buy something for 50 rupees and give 100 rupees. You'll, you expect 50 back. Do you? You don't expect 40 back or you don't expect 60 back. That is reason. Based on faith. Reasonable faith. Then there is historical faith which I got from school. I never saw Ashoka. Neither did I see the Gandhi. I was born after Gandhi died. I was born after Nehru died also. So I didn't see Nehru too. But I never doubt they existed. So many things in history we just accepted by faith. And for many, Christ is an historical figure. Most people don't deny that Christ never existed. They know he's a historical figure. So we are not talking about natural faith. We are not talking about intellectual, reasonable faith. We are not talking about historical faith. When you are talking about faith, first faith, God is talking about a saving faith. Where we put our entire faith of salvation on the work of Christ and Christ alone. This is not natural. I may not feel saved tomorrow. Okay. I may not feel saved tomorrow. I am absolutely sure if I go, the bank is there. You will be absolutely sure that your school is there, your office is there. I am saved today and I am saved tomorrow. I don't have to feel anything about it because it's entirely based on the work of somebody who is God. This is not a natural thing. It is not an intellectual thing. Intellectually, if I fall, I might be feeling that I don't, I don't think I am saved. I may not feel I am saved. My reason says you cannot be saved. But this has got nothing to do with reason. This is based on the work of somebody else. And what he has spoken about what salvation is. This is not historical. Jesus was a historical figure. So were all the others. But Gandhi's death did not save me. I do not put my trust in Nehru's death. I do not put my faith in the death of any other human being. Because it cannot save me. They are all historical people and they all have died historically. But only one man. So it's not even a historical thing. So when scripture says you are saved by grace through faith, it is different from the first three. It is a gift of God. And when it, That's why scripture says it is a gift. When it comes to gift, there is only one thing you can do. You can do two things with a gift. Either you can receive it, or you can reject it. There is nothing else you can. You cannot earn it. Cannot earn it. A gift is received or rejected. It cannot be earned. If it is earned, it is wages. It is not gift. So when it talks about saving faith, all you can do is receive it by faith. Receive it by faith. Lord, I hear, I believe, I receive. You receive it. Okay. 
So there are these three first faith, which is not the faith which saves us. Then there is this fourth one, which is called saving faith. And for those who are saved, we don't stop there. There's something else the Bible talks about in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatever is born of God, whatever here is born of God, the saving faith. When saving faith comes, you are born of God. He or she overcomes the world. You could be a eunuch too. That's why the term whatever is used. There are eunuchs too. Born as eunuchs, made by eunuchs, who chose to be eunuchs. So there are categories. But if you are born of God, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How do you overcome the world? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. There is something else called victorious faith. From saving faith to victorious faith. This is the faith a child of God exercises to overcome every trial, every temptation, every testing he or she faces in this world. Young ones, you face trials, testings, temptations in this world and you overcome it using faith. And that faith is called that overcoming faith. Let me give you the example, illustration-wise, so that you understand the difference between saving faith and victorious faith. Okay? Jesus and his disciples are going in the boat. Jesus is tired after the ministry and he is knocked out. He's knocked out. Now, there is an incredible storm that hits the boat. And the water is getting in. The boat is almost sinking. They are panicking. But uh, will they sink? No, they will not sink. Why? Because they have saving faith. But did they overcome? No. Who is the only one who overcame there? It was Jesus. They had saving faith. They didn't sink. But he had overcoming faith. He slept. Another situation, when they were again going storm, the waves are, and they are desperate, they are rowing, they are struggling, yet he walks on water. Did they have saving faith? Yes. But did they overcome their trial, their temptation, their test? No. Did he? Yes. He walked on water. So this is talking about situations which we face in life. We have, may have saving faith, but we may not have overcoming faith. So God says his children first need saving faith, then we become his children, and then we need overcoming faith. Now we know very well from scripture, Faith comes from hearing. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing. Okay? And hearing by the word of God. Okay? Faith does not come from the word of God. Please don't misunderstand scripture. Read scripture carefully because that's why people go wrong. People read the word and word and word and word and word. And never grow in faith. Because faith does not come from the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. There is this written word of God and there is a person behind it. When that person speaks to you in your daily devotion, faith comes. Otherwise only religion comes. You study scripture, you understand do's and don'ts and you go like that. You are a good man. You are a good religious person, not bad. It's also good. But it still doesn't generate faith. For faith to arise, you need to 
Hear. You need to hear. You need to hear. You have all the knowledge of the word of God in the storm. All you can do is row. Row, row, row your boat. Not gently, but hardly. In the storm. That's all you can do. You know all of scripture. You have all that knowledge. It's not going to help you in the storm. It's not going to help you in the storm. But when you hear, Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. He says, come. Come. Suddenly Peter steps out and he realizes the storm is not the problem. It's not the problem. The issue is the grace of God is there to hold me. Do I have faith? And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So we see this consistently in scripture. Tens and thousands probably in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And the message is heard. Message is heard. But remember, everybody doesn't hear. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, when they heard this, and they heard, how do you know you have heard a message? There's something that takes place. The ears were tinkling. No. Their brains were challenged. No. These are all different things that happen when you hear. You feel goosebumps and you feel all kinds of things happen when you hear a speech, a message, whatever. That's not. Scripture says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut. Something happened there. That's how you know you have heard. All were not cut. Scripture for once gives us a number. 3,000 were cut. See, also remember, hearts can get so hardened that it cannot be cut. Or you, you lose sensitive, your sensitivity. So sometimes God has to bring his people to the point where they are able to listen. That is what we are looking at Sunday. That God has to break people, break people, break people until they are able to hear. 16 months David didn't ask, David didn't hear, he went on his own way, God burned Ziklag down, everything is lost, family gone, children gone, everything gone, people are taking stones and he's come to the end of his strength. Then he cries, oh Lord, mercy, and he hears. It's an instant hear. So everybody doesn't hear unless we are brought to that point. That crowd on that day, 3,000 of them heard when Peter stood up and said, you guys all know 10 days ago what happened, right? They said, yeah. That person whom you killed, God has made Lord and Savior. And they panicked. And they understand resurrection, everything, and they understand. Like, let's imagine I tried to murder Peter, and then I'm brought to the court, and Peter didn't die, and I realized he's the judge. I, my lawyer, you can hire Kapil Sibbal, you can hire anybody. Ramjat Malani, it doesn't matter, it doesn't work because he doesn't need evidence. They panicked, they were cut to the heart and said, oh my god, the guy who killed, we killed is the judge, what do we do? He said, don't worry. Don't worry. That's why I said God uses circumstances, tailors in the lives of his people. He's doing everything actually to bring people to the point of brokenness where they can hear. 
So the sicknesses, accidents and all in God's people's lives are not, are not accidents. They are incidents ordained by a father. I'm telling you, the bread is in his hands. It is being blessed. It is being broken. But he cannot hand you over to a blessing into the hands of the world because you still haven't heard his voice. You're strong and hard in your brokenness. You're not still ready to hear his voice. Yet you are in his hands. He hasn't let go of you. So he's tailoring it all. So we saw in the portion we read in Matthew 9 and verse 27, we saw two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on There were so many people there, probably hundreds of them following Jesus. Only two cried for mercy because why? Their blindness had broken them. The others all had sight, so they thought they don't need mercy. We all have sight, so we think we don't need mercy. Until Saul of Tarsus was blinded for three days, he did not realize that he did not see he needed mercy. Till then he thought he saw, and I don't need mercy. That's what he tells the Laodicean church. You think you see, but you are blind. As long as you think you see, you don't need see the need for mercy. So he uses physical examples to hear say, there's a whole ton of people, every one of them needs mercy, but only two blind have brought to, been brought to the point where they cry out for mercy. Okay. Only because they were blind. Like I said, that was the same. In Acts chapter 9, Saul was, you don't have to turn, but Saul was with a group of men. Group of men. We don't know how many were there. Let us for numbers sake imagine Saul was traveling with 10 men. The sun was, the light was blinding. We know because he was blinded. Right? But let me ask you, only he was blinded. Why were the others not blinded? Because they were not broken yet. It was the same light that hit everybody, right? Only one man was blinded. When you study scripture, you have to look at these narratives. Did you ever hear in scripture after that about the group of men who traveled with Saul of Tarsus? No. Have you ever heard about what happened to the other maids who traveled with Rebecca to Isaac's home? No. They all fell to the ground, scripture says. They all heard the sound. But only one in the group understood what he was saying and the one who understood was blinded for three days. The other in the group, neither they were blinded nor did they understand what the voice was saying. They are seeing, they get up, their eyes are fine. Now they are leading the blind man to the city thinking they are better than him without realizing he is the greatest instrument of God in future. How different it is. How completely different it is from what we see and what actually truth is. Saving faith is the faith that opens mine and your eyes first. First thing saving faith does it, it opens my eyes. My eyes are opened to who I am, to who God is. That is saving faith. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. You have no sight. 
we cannot see. You cannot perceive the kingdom. The kingdom of God is real. It's not a fanciful thing. It's real. Now, if I were to tell here, anybody sitting over here because of reason, eyes, natural faith, reasonable faith, and historical faith, if I tell, if I were to tell you, United States of America is not real, you will say you are lying. But if I were to say the kingdom of God is real, you will say I am not sure. We cannot see. Have you perceived the kingdom of God? Have you seen the kingdom of God? Have you perceived? Do we? So the first question Jesus asks is what he asked the blind men. And we are all blind men. Okay, all of us sitting here, we are once upon a time blind men. Some are still blind. In Matthew 9, 28, the first question he asks is, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. They came. They said, Lord, have mercy. He knows what they have come for. The first question he asks is, Do you believe that I can do this? It's the first question. Do you believe Jesus can save you from your sins? Do you believe? That's the first thing. The blind man is aware of his blindness. The seeing man is not aware that he does not see. So, if I am a sinner and I see, I am not aware of my sinfulness. But if I am a sinner and I am aware of my sinfulness, then I have an answer to this question. Do you believe I can save you? When do I believe that he can save me when I finally stop trying to save myself? And every work we are doing is trying to save ourselves. Save ourselves. From saving faith, we need to move to overcoming faith. So in second, next verse, the second thing Jesus says is, According to your faith, let it be to you. No, he's even here today, if you believe. And he's touching everybody's eye senses. You will see according to your faith. How you perceive the kingdom is I leave it to you. According to your faith. Not according to your knowledge of the word of God. According to your faith is how you perceive the kingdom. How real it is. According to your faith. Jesus allows us to choose. Jesus allows us to choose. We can choose the limits we put on faith. He says, the limit is not with me. The limit is with you. It's not with God. It's with us. Jesus is touching their eyes. And when he's touching their eyes, what is knocking at the door? Grace is knocking at the door. If you believe, your eyes will be opened. That's what he says in Revelation chapter 3. I stand at the door and Knock. If anyone hears my voice, that is Jesus. He stands, he knocks, he speaks. Then what is left to us? Open. He doesn't break the door down. He doesn't push it. He doesn't do any of the things. He says, you open the door. He says, this is my commitment. I will come into him and I will dine with him. You will experience me. You will experience me. He stands, he knocks, I hear his voice, 
and I have to respond by opening the door. Many, many, many of us, all of us, for a long time, put the onus on Jesus or the preacher. But Jesus says, the honest is not on me or the preacher. It is on you. Do you believe? Do you believe that God can do this? In Psalm 78 and verse 22, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in His, His salvation was there for them. God had no plan like this. First generation should perish in the desert. Second generation will enter. Nothing like that. First generation could have entered and conquered and enjoyed their full life. But the problem was they did not believe in God and they did not trust in His salvation. They trusted in what salvation? Their salvation. What was their salvation? Let's do it this way. Get a new leader. Go back and tell the Egyptians we have come back. In Psalm 78 verses 40 to 43, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Who put the limits? God or them? They. Who puts the limits? We or God? God doesn't put any limits. He says you choose. And we choose and put limits. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed from the enemy, when he worked his science in Egypt and his wonders in the field of science. They forgot all that. Forgot all that. From saving faith, that's what he is talking about. Israel, you forgot how I saved you. Now I want you to move from saving faith to victorious faith, but you forgot how I saved you. I look back and I think, now I look back and I cannot believe that he actually saved me. Actually saved me. Now you look back and say, you know what? I look back and see, you know what? If he hadn't supernaturally intervened and I, my only question, my only part was to respond, I wouldn't be here where I am. It's impossible. It was he. But after that, we struggle with the other levels of being to, to able to trust him with everything else. To move to that overcoming. See, they talk about this African animal called impala. It can jump up to 10 feet high. And it can jump in length up to 30 feet. That's how an, you have seen it in National Geography, the way the impala jumps. It's its speed and its height. But on the other hand, if you take this same impala and put it in a zoo, and put it in an enclosure with a wall, where the wall is three feet high, it will never escape. Because it will only jump where it can see its feet land. If it can't see, it won't jump. It can jump 10 feet high and 30 feet, but all it keeps to trap is a three feet wall. Are we getting it? Faith Bible is talking about is in the power of God, not in the power of man. Often we are not able to jump because we look at it and says, yeah, I cannot jump. And it's absolutely true. We cannot jump, but God can. God can. If we limit God with our comprehension, with our reasoning, with our understanding, we stop the power of God from flowing into our lives. 
That's what Ephesians Paul is talking about in 3.20. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What do we ask, Lord? What are you asking? Sometimes in our prayers, what we ask, we we limit him. Beyond we can ask. Even we cannot think. This is as far as I can think. He says even beyond that. According to the power that works in us. What limits it? Is the power in us. Can be grace is there. Grace can do anything in us. But also there is that faith in us. So the faith has to grow if we have to appropriate what God has for us. Illustration for children. Now rainy season in India, pretty good illustration. You know, all the dams are full. Do you know the capacity of these dams? But downstream, you just have the small river still flowing because the shutters have not been opened. Just imagine, you haven't seen the, the big dam, not dam actually, the barrage at Faraka. That's where Ganges is dammed. It's shutter after shutter after shutter. The whole Ganges has been dammed up in West Bengal at Faraka. But when they start opening the shutters, one shutter, the water comes. Two shutters, the water comes. If they were to open all of it, it's the entire water is released. They're saying, God is saying, do you realize the power of grace there is there, the power of the Holy Spirit? But you have put all the shutters down. Because you are not able to believe. We receive from God, but that is only one stage. We are moved by it. Sick are healed, the blind see, the lame walk, even the dead are raised. When the dead are raised. Let me ask you, like, how many dead recorded in the Bible, instances are raised in the Bible? Three in the Old Testament. The widow at Zarephath, the widow Shunammite woman, and Elisha's dead body when it touched a dead man. Three were raised from the dead. Incidents are there in the Old Testament. New Testament with Jesus, the widow of Nain, she got a son back. Jairus got his daughter back. And Lazarus was raised after four days. In Matthew records of when Jesus died and rose, many came out. We are not looking at that. Peter raised Tabitha or Dorcas. So Tabitha, you were raised from the dead. Okay. Paul raised Eutychus. So if you put it all together, 6 plus 2, 8 by name, we can say specific cases. How many were raised? Specific cases. How many? Eight people raised. Let me ask you, of all these eight people, three in the Old Testament, five in the New Testament, what do you know about their ministry? What do you know about their ministry? Nothing. Meaning you can be raised from the dead and you should be the most powerfully used man on God. God says, no. No. That doesn't make any difference. Do you think if you're healed from the sick, you'll be preaching Christ tomorrow? The lame walk, they will preach Christ tomorrow. The blind see, they will walk. If you are raised from the dead, you will preach Christ. He says, no, it doesn't happen. Miracles don't bring faith. It may, it may not. There is no guarantee with any of those things. If anybody should have been used most powerfully, the guy who got up from the dead in the Old Testament, Elisha's body touches him, Elisha is dead, he rises up, he should have preached. 
I went and I saw nothing. This is where we get wrong. This is what actually the theology of hell. You know what the theology of hell is? The rich man told Abraham from hell. You know what he said in Luke 16? I beg you therefore father that you would send who? Lazarus, him, to my father's house. I am in hell, he is in paradise. Why don't you do one thing? There are still brothers in my father's house on earth. So three places. Hell, paradise, earth. So there is a sermon going from hell to paradise. Saying, can you please send that fellow who is in paradise to earth? Because we both are from there. If he goes and tells them that hell is real and heaven is real, maybe they will repent. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So it's very clear his brothers are also following him. You know what Abraham said? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Even if a man from the dead goes and speaks, those who do not hear the word of God is not going to go to heaven. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. How many WhatsApp messages, YouTube videos of people who died and came back, it makes no difference. One or two people might be scared. Are you scared into heaven? No. Nobody was frightened into heaven. It's an act of faith you believe. Because of, no, this person loved me. This person died for me. You believe. You are not scared into heaven. You know what Jesus, Abraham said? Said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. A dead man rising up, coming back in your dream and saying, hell is real, heaven is real. It's not going to save you. You have to hear the word of God and be convicted of the Holy Spirit and make a decision you are saved. Otherwise you are not saved. This brings us to the next point, the most important maybe. That blocks us from going to the next level of faith. Matthew 7 and verse 27. Next level. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Why was its fall great? And why was the other ones standing great? We talk about somebody's great fall. But we don't talk about somebody's great standing. Right? There are two houses. Okay? Two houses. Let's put two houses. One house is called the house of David. The other house is called the house of Joseph. When the tempest came, the house of David crashed. The house of Joseph stood. Stood. Why? If you go, actually, if you go a little further down, you will say it's because that person Heard 26. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine, hears mine, does not do them. Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. God says, you hear my voice, you obey it. If you don't obey it, it will fall apart. It will fall apart. From saving faith to save, we have to obey. We have to believe what God said. After that, to move further, it has to continuous obedience. You hear, you do. You hear, you do. Because it is not scriptural knowledge when you are studying scripture, reading scripture, hearing scripture. You are hearing God telling you very clearly through the Holy Spirit, change this, change here, change this, change here. 
And when you obey, he says your house is getting stronger and stronger. This is a spiritual house. This is a living house. The more you obey, the, the foundations are going in deeper and deeper and deeper. Normal houses we know. A foundation is set, it is set. But this is not a li- normal house. This is a living house. As you obey, the foundations are going deeper and deeper. That's what God is telling. This is exactly what God told. We know the very familiar words from 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? He said, no. In obeying the voice of the Lord. Obeying the voice of the Lord. The voice. The voice is very clear. The voice for people are not unclear. It's very clear. Very clear. Saul knew very clear. Very clearly God had told me, God told him, go this, do this to your Amalekite, finish it all off. Very clear. Very clear. And we're just fooling around with God. We have, it's, see, most things are not... That's why scripture says, no man knows what is inside other than his spirit. And his spirit is very clear. There is no, there is no darkness with the spirit. I can speak to Peter. I don't even know what Peter is thinking inside. But his spirit knows exactly what he is thinking and the Holy Spirit knows exactly where he needs to receive it. It says, nowhere can anybody saying that it is not clear. You know. You know. But our issue is we have zeal with burnt offerings and sacrifices but not obedience according to knowledge. In Proverbs 19 and verse 2, scripture says, 19 and verse 2. Yes, Sam? I didn't give it? Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge and he sins who hastens with his feet. He has zeal. He has zeal. But he doesn't have knowledge. It is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. A lot of zeal. He's hasty with his feet. He has zealous faith, but knowledge, not knowledgeable faith. Zealous faith takes us to saving faith. I didn't give it, but Roman Paul will say in Romans 10 and verse 2. Romans 10 and verse 2, this is what Paul says. For I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God. They are hasty with their feet. Zeal for God, but not according to Knowledge. The question you have to ask is that I bear them witness. How are you a witness, Paul? Paul says, because I was one of the ones. That's how I know it. If you ask me, how do you, how does a Catholic think? How do you think? How do you know? I will say because I was one of the ones. I know exactly how a Catholic think because that's the way I thought. Therefore, I know it is darkness and what is light. If you ask Paul, how do you know? He will say, I was a witness. I was very zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. Burnt offerings, unburnt offerings, peace offerings, everything. I was zealous, but not according to knowledge. The question is, zealous faith will not take us to the next level. Okay. Let us look at a few examples from scripture. It's interesting. How today's portion, okay? What we looked and now. First Mark chapter 1 verse 40 to 45. Interesting. Because we, we, we love all these miracles happening in our life. Now a leper came to him imploring him 
kneeling down to him, saying to him, wow, when brokenness comes, what people are willing to do? If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. Now he's putting the honors on Jesus. In the other case, Jesus put the honors on him. Lord, have mercy. He says, do you believe? Okay, Here he says, Lord, if you are willing. I know you can. So don't even ask me that question. I know you can. Only question is, are you willing or not? Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And strictly he warned him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, who? This guy, the leper who was cleansed, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. Next example, Mark chapter 7. Then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. He was mute. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephastha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that he should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And then today, our portion. Matthew 9, verse 30. Their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Did you see? What is common about all these three people? The leper, the deaf and dumb guy, and the two blind men. They had faith to receive their miracle. But they did not have the obedience that comes from faith. To all of them, Jesus said very strictly, don't speak about this. And all of them right away went and disobeyed his voice. Did they receive the miracle? Of course. Did they ever progress to the next level? No. That is zealous faith without knowledge. They had faith to receive their miracle. But they did not have the obedience that comes from faith. That leads to an ongoing walk with God. Because to receive these things from God is not a difficult thing. But to walk with God, you need obedience. And we confuse both. Because we keep on receiving things from God, we think, assume we are walking with God. Walking with God is connected with simply this. What did God tell you to do and not to do? We know from Romans 1.17 that faith is a life. Faith is a life. It's a lifestyle. My just shall live by faith. First we go to him. We believe in his work. We look at him. We see who we are. We believe. He cleanses. We are sanctified. We are born from above. And we are born again. When we are born again, the first thing God does is he justifies us. You are justified. You are no longer a sinner. And we are a just person before God. 
doesn't matter what the world says, in the Supreme Court of Heaven, you are declared just. As soon as you are declared just, God says, the just shall live by faith. So faith is a lifestyle. It's living. It is also not just a living. Second Corinthians 5-7 will say, it is also a walk. It is also a walk. Now, yesterday, Monday's meeting, I showed them. Anita, come here today. Come. Come up. You understand that much English? No, come. Come this way. Bring your um, scarf also. This is what I showed them in the last meeting. You can't see, okay? Pretend you can't see, okay? Now, if I tell her to go back to her seat, she probably will fall down. Okay? Because she cannot see. Now, don't, don't, just pretend, okay? You may be able to see now. This is an illustration, okay? Now, if she wants to reach, and this is how she is going to be tied all her life, if she wants to reach her seat, there's one thing she has to do. I say, Anita, come. Come. Come, here. I'm here. Here. Come. 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 Follow me. Yeah, there's a step there. Step down. (laughs) Step down. Step down. Step down. Okay? That's what happened. First time when you start hearing you fall, he picks you up. The only way she can reach her destination by is listening to my voice. We walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, Anita, you can sit down. Okay. Do you see? We do not walk by sight anymore. And the only way you can walk by faith is hearing that voice. Hearing that voice. You have to hear that voice. There is a voice that speaks. That's why the Spirit has been sent. He says He is there. And the voice becomes louder and louder and louder. And God says, I will guide you. You will hear my voice. You will hear my voice when you read. You will hear my voice when a servant comes and preaches. You will hear my voice and I will tell you this way, that way. And then he goes finally and says, I will guide you with my eye. I was telling the pastors yesterday, we all know, men we know. Five people comes to my house. If I look at my wife like this, nobody sees. She knows. Is there enough food to call all of them for dinner? I didn't speak a word. They didn't understand. All I did was look like this. That's what God says. I will guide you with my eye. Okay? There's no other way. This is to what we are called. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. Now if she's used to my voice, clearly, very familiar with my voice, And she keeps on obeying instruction. Ten times she does it. Next time she will just knows it how to come down. Because she is trained to listen to that voice. She knows. So you walk by faith. You live by faith. This is to what God has called us. It is not to live by sight, by a set of rules in the Bible. The rules are important. But behind the rules there is a voice of a person who is speaking to us. So you'll see all these people, they received miracles, but they disobeyed him. And all these people are representatives of many believers. They had faith to be healed. They had faith, they have faith for a promotion. They have faith to believe for a spouse. They have faith to believe for a child. They have faith to believe for a breakthrough, but they don't have faith to obey and follow him. 
all the way. That we don't realize. That is the real test of faith. Will we follow him? Will we be a disciple? Because faith brings salvation, faith brings healing, all these things. But only obedience brings discipleship. Faith comes from hearing. But obedience is a choice. Faith comes from hearing. I heard. Lord, I heard today. I gave, Pastor James spoke. I heard. Now the choice is, he says, let it be done according to your faith. Let me see you can obey. And they, and they saw. And then he gave them second commandment to the next level. What is the second commandment? Don't go and speak. Straight away they went and disobeyed him. So we'll see. They received the greatest miracle in verse 31 of their life. The greatest miracle in their entire life. Blind saw. And they straight away went and disobeyed the one who healed them. Now look at the second part in verses 32 to 34. And they went out, behold, they brought him to him a man, mute and demon possessed. So that miracle happened in private. Remember, Jesus went into a room, the blind man went to the room, it was happened in private. Nobody else saw it, they received it and he told them, keep it that way, you don't have to speak about this. I'm not going to get into the reasons why Jesus is, because Jesus doesn't want people to be attracted because of miracles. Miracle is my need. But if somebody follows because I saw a miracle, they are not following him. They are following a miracle. There was a demon-possessed man who was deaf and dumb. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled. Now this is in public. The multitudes were amazed. In the other place, there is no crowd. Inside, in the room. This is in the public. They were amazed. And they said, man... Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. Amazed. But the Pharisees said, no. He casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So one happens indoors, one has outdoors. But did you see, neither of the miracle, whether it was private or public, produced obedience. What is common between the two? The common between the two is one had a private experience and a specific command. The others had a public display of the power of God. But nobody followed Jesus. Nobody obeyed him. If a magician does a magic, oh, he does not tongue to rabbits come out. We are amazed. They are also amazed. Will we follow a magician? But Jesus was not a magician. When people are amazed by miracles and miracle workers, don't ever think they are going to follow Jesus. It happens. Few cases, but most cases, no. Jesus does miracles. But his goal is not that we should be amazed. His goal is that we should become like him through obedience. We can start with miracles, be amazed, 
and walk away. Or start with obedience and then experience miracles that cause us more obedience to God. Working more and more in our lives. So when Jesus is talking about works, he is talking about the works of obedience. Why? Because faith without obedience, the works of obedience is dead. And often, a lot of people, their faith is dead. Because what what do they have? They have they have confused the hearing of his word to the practice of religion. I will tell you. I just saying, I wake up in the morning, I read my word, I pray, then I sit and read, and everything. Okay? And I come and preach too. And I'm feeling good. I read my word, I prayed, I prayed for others, and I have preached. But I also know deep inside God is saying that you shouted at your wife, you haven't said sorry. Now God is not looking at any of these things. Faith, obedience is to that one thing. Into that one thing. That one thing. That is the obedience he is looking at. But we confuse that obedience to religion and we feel good. But God says, you haven't heard from me. You haven't obeyed me. You brought somebody's pen from school. You heard the entire message. You feel good. You came even maybe early and helped Sammy and Peter and all that. But the whole thing, the Holy Spirit is saying, you stole a pen. That is the voice of God. That is the voice that you have to obey. They received a miracle. Only thing Jesus told them, he, he told them is that, you know, to all these three groups of people, he told them one thing. One thing he says, to one group he said, go to the temple, you got leprosy, the law is very clear, a leper can be declared non-leprous only by the priest, let's stick to the letter of the law, you go do it, but on the way I have one request to you, one command to you, please don't speak who did it. One thing to obey. Do one thing, don't do this thing, that's all they had to do. With that one thing, they refused to do. So we go to Acts, Hebrews 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness he was righteous. By faith. Now let me ask you, did obedience come first or the miracle come first? This is what is actually happening. Let me tell you what's happening. Both brothers are there. Both of them know what they should be doing, but one chose to obey. This is God's way, I will obey. So he does it God's way. He obeys. There are two altars over here. One is an altar where it is an altar of obedience, and the other is an altar of disobedience. One has obeyed, one has disobeyed. The one who has obeyed, boom, fire comes and takes it off. He receives his miracle. But his miracles follows his obedience. Follows his obedience. He is not obeying because of a miracle. Which is also good if you obey after a miracle. But in this case, his miracle follows his obedience. Verse 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken away. When was Enoch taken away? After how many years walk? So he walked for 300 years with God in obedience, then experienced his miracle. 
It's not that God took him away in the beginning of his walk, showed him all of heaven and then sent him down and said, now you see in all that walk with me. This is where I'm taking you. No, that's not what happened. He walked with God for 300 years and then he was taken. It was a walk of obedience and he experienced the greatest miracle of his life. He was raptured alive. So there is obedience and there is a miracle. Interesting, right? Word 7. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Did he experience the miracle of being saved from the judgment first or did he obey? How many years? 120 years. He obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed. And when it was all done, he experienced his miracle. It is the same case with everyone in Hebrews 11. See, the Bible tells it like it is. We live by faith. We walk by faith, we pray in faith, we add to our faith, we contend for our faith, we continue in the faith. These are all terms from the Bible. From the Bible. I am telling you that in so many lives, children, married, unmarried, everybody, I'm waiting for the miracle for my husband to change, then I'm going to obey. God says it's never going to happen. Your obedience precedes your miracle. Then a father stops shouting at me, I will obey him. God says he will never stop shouting at you because you're waiting for a miracle before your obedience will come. Doesn't work. God's order is not that way. We also see from scripture it is possible to depart from faith, to deny the faith, to err in the faith, to waver in faith, to draw back or shrink back from faith. All these are terms used in the Bible. So it is connected with the lifestyle, it is connected with the walk, and it is connected with obedience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Wait, is our faith empty? Or is it real? Empty or real? How do you, how do you and I know that our faith is real? Scripture proof. You don't have to look at my face. Look at the scripture and give me the answer. It's an open book exam. How do you know? Christ is? What does it mean? All those who work in IT companies. Your camera is watching your desk. You're working. Why? Because you know boss is watching. Right? That's what it's saying. If you believe Jesus is alive, your faith is real. Because your faith Shows you know your boss is watching. Your boss is watching. Is he risen from the dead or is he a dead God? That's what he's saying. Is he risen? Nobody else can say that. We can say that our God is risen. Our God is risen. I'm not saying suddenly this is to where we grow. Mark 4 and verse 40. He said to him, why are you so fearful? How is that you have no? So, you can be in a situation where you have no faith at all. Empty faith, no faith. Romans 14.1 Receive one who is weak in the faith. So you can be 
weak in the faith. Empty faith, no faith, weak in the faith. And James will say in 2.17, dead faith. Marahua vishwas, dead faith. Have you seen scripture? So you ask, is my faith empty? Is my faith where God says in your situation, you are facing a terrible situation and I know you are facing a terrible situation. The thing is that I can do nothing about it because you have no faith. Grace is there waiting. The whole power structure of heaven is there waiting but not even one tiny iota of faith for me to work. And we'll say, but it worked. It worked because you, God, used somebody else's faith to rescue you. There was a man who could not get up, who couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. So what did happen? Four guys picked him up, brought. When they're brought, it's crowded. They cannot get in. They got onto the roof, broke the roof, let him down. Jesus looked at their faith and told him, you are healed. Their faith told them they are healed. Okay, so God always is looking to see, do we have faith? Weak faith? Weak faith is better than dead faith. Weak faith is better than no faith. Weak faith is better than empty faith. So scripture says, receive the one who is weak in faith. To the Canaanite woman, in Luke chapter 7, verse 9, God says, I have not found such great faith. Boy, you are good. It didn't matter what he said to her. She wouldn't leave him. I know one thing. You have the power to heal my child. And you can say whatever you want. I am not letting go of you. He said, boy, I didn't find faith like this in Israel. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Full of faith. Full of Holy Spirit and full of faith. It would be a very contradiction. No, full of the Holy Spirit and empty of faith. No. Full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. In Colossians 2, 5, scripture says, Though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. How do you know you are steadfast in your faith? Paul says you no longer need supervision. No longer need supervision. Have you come to the point in your life with God where you no longer need supervision? And you are still steadfast to the hearing and the obeying of the voice of God? Steadfast. James chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in ways? We, we are poor. We are not rich. None of us here is rich. We don't even know what riches is really like. But we are poor. And because we are poor, we are weak. We cannot do a lot of things the rich can do. We are limited by our poverty and our inability. God says, do you know that you have been specifically chosen so that you can be rich in faith? Do you see that as advantage or a disadvantage? If I am rich, if I have a billion dollars in my bank, what do I need God for? At the end of my life, Lord, take me in. That's all I need him for. Everything else is covered by money. He 
hear what God is talking about. He says you are poor. Like I said last Wednesday, what is our weakness? Our weakness is our faith. The world sees it as weakness. But that is our strength because in your weakness, my strength is perfect. Everybody wants to be rich. But they want to be rich in this world, not to be rich in faith. Given you illustrations from the world, like each of these structures, when it comes to AC with a thousand watts, did you see the wire go? Thicker and thicker? If you see over there on the transformer where the main line, you will see this, the cable is even more thicker. The more the power has to flow, the richer the faith has to be. Otherwise it will burn. Can't handle it. That's why first thing God only told Abraham, Abraham, leave out of the Chaldeans. He said, okay, Lord, he left. He God waited for another 25, 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many years he waited before he told Abraham, take your son, your only son, offer him as a sacrifice. The next day morning he left because his faith is a thick cable now, ready to obey. We have to grow. We have to grow rich. You know what Peter calls it in Second Peter 1.1? 1, 1? He says, Peter, bondservant, apostle to those who have obtained like a precious faith. It's precious. Precious. Now we don't value faith so much. That's why we don't value the word so much. But when you reach heaven, you will realize, oh my gosh, of all the things I received on earth from God. The most precious gift was the gift of faith. That took me to heaven. That was the most precious. Nothing was more valuable than that. It was that faith. The most precious. Because it took me to heaven. Grace came in through that. And I reached on the other side. Precious. Finally Jude. In Jude 1.20 will say. But you beloved. Building yourself upon your most holy faith. It's the most holy faith. It's holy. Because it comes from God. All this is showing there are various degrees of faith. And the key element to growth in faith is obedience. Because so many people I know, I look back into my life, look back to a lot of people who began with me. I'm not talking about in the world, in the ministry. I've seen at some point or anything, they just shut down. They shut down. They're this far. That's it. This far. This thing don't tell me. Please don't tell me. I'm not going to obey you in this. This, don't tell me. This, tell me. This, no, no. They just made a circle. The circle was not for the world. The fencing was not for the world. The fencing was for God. You stay on that side. This is my private space. Don't interfere. I will not obey. And they walk. Walk stop. They're still living. But it's no longer by faith. Faith affects certain parts of their life. But that's it. Are they saved? Yes, definitely saved. Are they growing? No more. That's the worst thing that can happen to a child of God, that you don't grow anymore. The only thing that stops us from growing in Christ, stops our continuous walk with God, is our hesitancy to obey the voice of God. Voice of God. I don't know about anybody, because I cannot know about anybody. The thing is that each one will know, because when God starts... Telling us to do something, 
because we are so good, we start arguing with that using scripture. We justify ourselves. Ask yourself, do we justify ourselves? There's only one that justifies. Let's give me an example. There is Ajay sitting over there. Let's Ajay, let's say Ajay is in Peter's apartment and uh, Ajay doesn't obey Peter. He knows he needs to obey Peter because that is connected with obedience of faith. Why do you obey your elders, your spouses, your this thing? All that is because it's God who said so. He doesn't obey. And every time he knows he has to obey, every time he says, I will not obey because he shouts at me. He doesn't. I'm using an illustration. So he used that one term. He shouts at me, therefore I will not obey. You are stuck like Chuck over there, unable to move. A lot of people do that. Paul wrote to Timothy, for your stomach trouble, drink a little wine, so I will drink. God can give you 100 scriptures about what wine has done, starting with the first time wine is mentioned in the Bible, no one lying naked, cursing an entire generation and generation after generation, onwards all the way, till Jesus actually saying, I will not drink of the fruit of this wine until I am with everything can be shown. They will pick one scripture to disobey. I'm talking, I'm just giving you examples. I'm not talking about not telling you to drink or anything, but as you grow further, he will tell you many things. These are personal things. He tells you, don't do this. Don't do this. That's not for you. It's not for you. It's not for you. So ask God today. Don't chase miracles. Don't chase miracles. Because when scripture talks about believing, it is talking about believing obedience. So I close before I pray. What does Mark 16 say? These signs or these miracles shall, shall, say everybody shall, follow. It shall follow those who believe, those who obey and walk. The miracles follow them. The miracles follow them. What does scripture say in the book of Acts when the church began? Incredible obedience. Those who received the message were cut to the heart. What should we do? He said, get out of this corrupt generation. They received the message. They were baptized 3,000 immediately. They steadfastly gathered for the apostles' doctrine, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, for bread. And everybody, whatever they had, brought and fitted the apostles' feet. Everybody had enough. And God did incredible supernatural miracles among them. What followed? Miracles followed because of obedience. Because of obedience. Because of obedience. We don't realize what we are missing out in life because of a lack of obedience is the supernatural miracles of God. He works. He works and he's waiting to work in us. Because he told Israel and he tells, I have made you a sign and a wonder to the nations. But we are not willing to obey. And after we receive a miracle, the next step often is the step of disobedience. This evening, let's stand up. All the children are here. Let's pray. Let's trust God, Lord. Give me the will to obey. Father, we just come to you, Lord.
Once again, we pray for hearing ears, a believing heart, and the will to obey. You will save us, but every day we have to choose to obey you. Help us to hear your voice. Once we have heard, help us to obey. Help us to obey. That's where the power comes. Because your word says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey more and more. Barnabas was an incredible man of obedience. We know, Lord, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's why you said, oh Lord, you fathers being evil, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more your father in heaven will give you the very power that created everything and raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit himself. Pray, Father, you teach us and help us that we obey you more and more as each day passes. So we too, like Enoch, will experience the greatest miracle in our life. It will be written, he, she walked with God and then was no more. That's the miracle we are looking for. That's a miracle that comes from obedience. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely. You kept us safely. Now I pray, Father, you reach us home safely. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We just bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.